Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. This episode of The Educated Hunter is brought to you by Go Native. The legends at Go Native have put together a meal pack specially for our Educated Hunter listeners. This pack contains three of their pre-cooked meal pouches and three servings of mashed potato. You simply just boil them for a couple of minutes to reheat them, add the hot water to the mashed potato and you're good to go. These meals are great because they are high quality, they're tasty and they're very easy to prepare. So you can come back in the dark and within a couple of minutes you can have a high class meal sitting on your plate ready to go. They have also knocked $5 off the price for you, our Educated Hunter listeners. Just follow the link in the show notes or jump onto our website and there's a link there as well. When you get to check out, enter the promo code EDUHUNT5. Big thanks to Go Native. Hope you take this opportunity to try out a few of their meals. I think once you do, you'll never go back. Okay, here we go again. Tonight's conversation is with Cam Mackay. Cam is a Central Targa lad. Uh, grew up around here recreationally hunting, transitioned into guiding for a lot of New Zealand's, well, particularly South Island outfitters, and has now become his own business within the hunting industry in two forms. So he is an outfitter, he is one of the guys behind Southern Lake Safari, but he's also the founder of Point South. So Point South is an online, what well, is a retail store, but it's also an information sharing platform. The conversation sort of spread from, I guess, where his hunting begun to the form it takes now and where we hope he, where he hopes it will go in the future, but also being an entrepreneur and what it takes to follow that entrepreneurial feeling or, I guess, bug that sits within you. And, and the reason we, I wanted to bring this conversation up and, and have this podcast is I feel like there's a lot of Kiwis out there, you know, we, we can hunt with such regularity and such a high standard. There's a lot of opportunity for New Zealanders to find their own niche within the hunting sector. Uh, and I would encourage anybody with any form of entrepreneurial sort of passion, whether it be a full-time commitment or just a, a little side hustle, then I fully back people to have a go at it. I think not only is it rewarding for the individual, but I think there'll be a spin-off in, in hunting as a whole if we cover, I guess, more, if we cover the, the industry with more niche markets. So, it, because the reason for that will be other people will find and side with those little niches, be it a photography element or a, a craft element. Like, it'll bring more supporters or understanders around the hunting. I know that's poor poor language, but more people understanding hunting from a different form. So I think people following their entrepreneurial passion is important. And I would encourage anybody to. And if anybody is actually listening and they would like to, I guess, get some advice around that, please don't hesitate to reach out to Matthew or myself. We'll definitely help you out in any form we can. So enjoy the podcast. There's a lot to learn there. It's not a long podcast, but it's um, it's a really good conversation. And if you want to uh, check Cam's store out, and buy any of his products, and his products are, are all quality. There's, you know, that's that's probably the one thing that stands out to me is he set a really high standard on 
what it is he supplies. He's he's in no way encouraged to supply the masses, if you like. I, you know, I advocate for that. You know, for somebody to have a high standard like that. So, please just just enjoy the podcast. Any questions, sing out. Uh, welcome, Cam. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> well, it's your house, so yeah, you true. should be here. <laughs> but that's all right. So, where did where where did your hunting begin? I guess you know. Ah, uh, well, I mean, I grew up in Crummel, and like most kids, was you know shooting rabbits at a young age, and that progressed to chasing deer in the coast and in Nevis and all around the place. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, so yeah. pretty probably similar background to mine. I grew up in Alex. So, for those that don't know, Alex and Cromwell are central central Otago, lower lower to mid South Island. There's a rough geographical description. So hunting hunting the the small animals, you know, like. It's a pretty typical pathway for hunters in New Zealand. Oh, standard. Yeah. And and actually, quite amusingly, the bow is just sitting by the front door because I've been <laughs> smacking rabbits off the back stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you never really lose that that boyhood endeavour, I guess, as a, as a hunter. And I think something that we probably don't discuss enough is why why young Kiwis or Kiwis as a whole actually grow up to be pretty efficient hunters. You know, we start so early, so naturally with an abundance of prey. Yeah, we can... Make hunt numerous mistakes and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I think back to when I was younger, started obviously with nagging dad to take me out as much as I could. But when it got to the point where we could drive and so forth, there was a couple of big stations not too far from here where they would give us all our ammo, all our fuel, a few beers to go home with, and a hog it for every thousand rabbits we shot. And we'd travel up there on a Sunday and shoot hundreds in a day. Have an awesome time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was sort of a pretty perfect thing. So, you know, you, when you think back to that sort of skill set, you know, it's no wonder Kiwis are actually pretty good hunters and enjoy hunting. So, I guess based on that, like, did you have like a mentor growing up? Oh, I mean, my father would be the one that got me into it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always a pretty keen hunter, along with a few of his mates. Like a lot of young guys, I probably read up, grew up reading numerous hunting books, old school yep. hunting books, and getting yep. the bug from that as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, um, definitely, like I say, a common path. And, and I think it's uh, it's actually an unfortunate thing that we've left behind is, is reading some of the books. I've started collecting old books again. Yep. And, and I, I, social media has probably jumped in on that too. Like there's probably not so much need to buy a $30 book anymore. You can watch enough on oh, YouTube or... Something about having them though, isn't there? Well, 100%. Yeah, and yeah, 100% with that. So, and then I, I guess typically they would just transition to more mates with like-minded sort of passions and hobbies and... Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. It turned into like every weekend was the well, kind of the same thing. You know, you'd load up the truck and head to the coast with four or five of your mates and mm-hmm. drink too many beers and chase deer around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whereabouts in the West Coast? Oh, Haast mostly, so mm-hmm. oh, north and south of Haast really. I know all those creeks fairly well from... Mm-hmm. From the young fella. It's pretty iconic red deer country and red deer hunting country, isn't it? I guess it gets you in tune with, with hunting pretty well because mm-hmm. you know, you've got to be reasonably onto it mm-hmm. certain times of the year over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 for sure. So I guess from a, a, a typical but very humble beginning, where where does your hunting sit now? Like what is it, you know, recreationally you do hunting-wise? Yeah, so I mean, me personally, I've kind of, chamois and tar is my thing. Definitely chase stags in the raw, but... So I hunt recreationally a lot. Also guide quite a bit during the season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm lucky that I'm probably pretty focused on hunting probably 100% of the year now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a, sort of the the wish of many. Probably not uh, the understanding of as many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the jury's still out as to whether it's a good idea or not. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. how does how does one how does one I guess 
balance emotionally between having a drive recreationally in terms of what you want to achieve, what you want to see, how your hunting's going, to then giving up potentially better animals than you may have um, harvested, like you know, giving them up to clients. Do you, do you find a, a cross-conflict there? Not really. No, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for some reason it just doesn't. I just I don't look at it as work so much, but yep. you know, just sharing um, an experience. Yeah, totally. Yep. I get more stoked on that. But like just last week, I had a guy foot hunting for chamois, and saw a really really nice buck, and it mm-hmm. gave us the slip. Mm-hmm. So I was back there looking for it two days later by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's the one flip side. You, you're out there more, I and mean, that's sort of I guess for me, you know, with all the the skill sets and all the products and all the I guess ideas nothing quite outweighs just being there. You know, that, that's that's mm. how you get there. But um, I, I guess, and that's sort of, I've touched about, I touched on it in um, other podcasts, and it's a strange thing where as a hunter, you're you're 100% excited about the opportunity, the, the pursuit of the hopeful, hopeful harvest. But then when you have a, a friend or a, or a client, you almost feel that same elation and hope for them. Yeah, totally. You get stoked on other people achieving something or showing yeah. you something like yeah. um to be honest when i went back looking for that buck i dragged a good mate of mine from Cromwell mm-hmm. and was going to make him shoot it not mm-hmm. that we found the buck but yeah so, yeah yeah it, it yeah, is it's definitely and i think i think as you do more hunting like, you know i'm not saying that we don't have as you do a lot of hunting you still have certain ambitions that you want to achieve but it becomes a, a lot easier and a lot more acceptable to be willing to hand over that opportunity to somebody else definitely now, i, I yeah. think it's a great trait that probably hunters aren't portrayed that well with you know typically as a hunter we're just bloodthirsty and we want to pull the trigger on everything whereas as i do more and more podcasts and talk to more and more guys that do a lot of hunting it's far from that truth they do it it's it's the obvious part of the game but they're more than willing to share the experience and more than willing to give up the experience they're more than willing to educate people like there's a lot of good human or attributes totally. within hunters yeah well, a lot of guys just enjoy taking photos as well or mm-hmm. yeah I mean, look at Sean Monk. How many people has he shown pig hunting to? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah, no, he's, um, and it, we talked about it on the podcast with Sean, like, he's definitely a leader in, totally. in, in yeah. education, but then also, and I know he's, he doesn't want me to say he's a really good teacher and stuff, well, that's not how Sean works, <laughs> but he is a great educator and opportunity provider to young people in hunting. Yeah, yeah and he'll teach you some really good, Bad habits outside of hunting too. Yeah, <laughs> we're not allowed to talk about that stuff. It's a hunting podcast. You hear that, Sean? I'm backing you here. So now you're guiding, guiding. So you're guiding for yourself. Yep. 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 How how does that go? Like, because I and I mean I'm asking this question from a. There's a lot of young guys out there in New Zealand, and I obviously with the ultimate OE, I get a lot of questions around this sort of stuff that they always want to be a guide and you know like is it easy is it as, as, as glammed up as it no definitely it not be? like it's <laughs> yeah I mean I started off working I've worked for a lot of different outfits actually just sort of contract guiding and I guess the motivation was of sort of become pretty focused on trying to do something for myself so hence setting up our own operation with a good mate of mine and it was also to get away from you know get away from the heli hunting mm-hmm. you know high fence bloody big stags mm-hmm. just focus a bit more on the free range and foot hunting which is what we want to do Yep, and that's yeah. just a personal choice or a personal feeling on how you feel about that totally. sort yep. of hunting. Like, yep. um, I know we've had conversations away from this podcast around it, and it's it is part of what happens. Like, when you're not sugarcoating it, you're not belittling it. It's just not where it sits with you. Yep, totally. And I, th- I think it's fine. I think it's good that New Zealand hunters, both recreationally and professionally, 
don't all feel the same way about things. It's it's not a negative about the industry. It's you know it's a strength. We should be individuals in this game. Yep. So I guess the, the one thing we haven't talked about is we talked about recreational hunting and then the, the the guided hunting. But then you've also transitioned to Point South. It has an, a a retail store ap- application, but then it also has an education application. Is that fear of me to say that sort of thing in terms of you know blogs and, and posts and, and like there's stories on there there and there is general stories, but there's also I guess a learning opportunity within the stories is where I'm going. It's not yeah totally. There's plenty of how tos and tips and tricks and mm-hmm. yeah and just keeping the ethics high and just yep. that sort of a thing. Yeah, and yeah. and I guess so. Why 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 just start points now? Basically. You know, the way we consume information is just changing so quickly, and so is the retail landscape. So I guess it came about as wanting a, a way to market product as well as educate, as you say, and just do it in a measurable fashion and something a bit more interesting than the usual magazine or print or whatever. Hard copy. Yeah. yeah. You know, just try and be more interesting with different articles and touch on things that are actually relevant to, to hunters rather than the old, you know, bang flop story that we used to read. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that bang flop story again—it's the reality of hunting. But I think it misses a lot of why we hunt, and it definitely misses a big opportunity to portray why we hunt. You know, and that—that's totally. for me. That's probably the I guess biggest negative to those sort of formats. Yep. You know, when when those that don't hunt miss out on the the reasons we climbed, the the way we felt when we climbed, the emotion of seeing animals that we didn't shoot, the the challenges, the excitements, the shearing that we talked about earlier, like totally, and it's all easier to tell over a digital medium. You know, mm-hmm. it's just easier to showcase the photos and push it out there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and my generation was probably the last they introduced computers to schools while I was there. Yep. Nowadays, that's the norm. Standard, you know, like I look yeah. at my friends' kids. You know, my daughter's not old enough, but I look at my friends' kids, and they can use devices better than I can. <laughs> Yet they still still get asked their parents to do their shoes up. <laughs> you know, and for me from the outside, I'm like, hey, how does that happen? But that's the reality, you know. And and so I think you know having an online presence and a uh, online shopping and 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 the education stuff in a format that matches the demographic or the soon to be demographic, I guess, because you know there's always new hunters and always new yep. people coming on. Then you know that's the right sort of space, you know. Um, Interestingly, my main demographic on Point South is um, 25 to 34-year-olds. That's hmm. the majority by quite a bit. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's Surprises good. a few people, that one. Yeah, it does. Surprises me. It's the first yep. time I heard it, so there, there you go. go. <laughs> but that's good. Uh, and because the reason it's good, and well, from me just hearing this the first time now, the reason I feel like that's good is because that's sort of, probably more so on the upper end, is the age bracket where they are then at the point where they're about to start sharing with kids or nephews or, yep. you know, I think that's quite an important aspect, you know. Um, and a lot of people are getting into hunting later in life these days too. Like yeah. A lot of those, you know. 20 to 30, even yeah, older. 100% there. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a massive shift. And I think it's something it's something, it's something that Matthew and myself talk a lot about at the moment. You know, there's such a, a rise in the social media of hunting in terms of, you know, like not superstars, but, but people that are attracting a lot of attention and, and people are looking to them to learn stuff. And it's becoming popular, even though it's a minority, it's becoming popular for some. And I, I think that's where there's an opportunity for likes of Point South and so forth to start offering some education because a lot of these people are starting a lot later without mentors. So they're, they're trying to cold forge a hunting yep. yeah, career, if you like, or a, a sport. And well, some, that's some, not that easy. No, no. Some of the articles that for us get the most reads 
are kind of those top tips or you know ten yeah. top tips how to do this or it's mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So makes sense. Yeah, well, I, I think it's I think it's important. I think there's a slow shift. You know, it's part of why we started the Educate Hundred. But I think there's definitely a slow shift in looking for help too. You know, Kiwis aren't all that good at admitting we're we're weak at something. <laughs> so if you could do it secretly in the cover of home and find out some advice or find out how to yep. do something better, then I think that's that's definitely a positive. And people are always trying to upskill and get better and get safer and be more resourceful and understanding all that sort of stuff. Then yeah, it's got to be it's got to be positive for no, for sure um, hunting as a whole and hunting hunting here in New Zealand. You know, we're our own little eco climate of, of hunting, if you like. <laughs> so we we need to be doing our own thing, not just following international models. We can learn from them for sure, doing different stuff. So with within Point South, and I'm a I'm assuming we can talk about First Light. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So First Light is the clothing brand you represent. Yep. And it's it's a good brand. We're starting to use this for our Ultimate OEN Educator Hunter guys. And the one thing with the brand that I liked is it had a tie to New Zealand yep. within its merino. Mm-hmm. But tell us a bit more about the first light. Okay, so it's it's been around since 2007, and it's um, it's out of Idaho in the US. And as Curran said, it's got a bit of a, a Kiwi twist to it. So it's all mari- uh, New Zealand merino. You know, one of the pieces is called the Wilkin, another one's called the Minaret. You know, it's Kiwi cool. place names, which is yep. quite, quite nice. But the reason we got involved is basically that changing retail landscape where we wanted to be able to, you know, s- source high-end clothing because a lot of us were actually hunting in stuff designed for mountaineering, particularly with rainwear, mm-hmm. just because some of the Kiwi brands probably can't afford to license that high-end fabric. Yep, and and I guess if you, from a straight business point of view, if you bracketed Kiwi hunters, we haven't transitioned that far from wearing swannies and rugby shorts. No, you know, so no. so those guys probably had their own market, whereas now we're getting more into explorative. Backcountry yep. walking and hunting, like yep. definitely, there's a need to it's change de- up. Yeah, it's definitely a bit more top end or techy, which, as we probably all know, the biggest chunk of the market probably isn't that guy. Yep. But you know, that's what we we want to do yep. and we want to sell is that stuff. So, so where you say techy, obviously that is a straight reflection to research. Yep. And you know, like research is where where there's learning. So, so what are the key benefits of the gear? Uh, breathability is probably the major which waterproofing is relatively easy to achieve and a number of fabrics can do that and do that reasonably well but breathability is what makes the difference to how comfortable you are on the hill mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. with how we hunt particularly in in the mountains you know you're sweating your bloody guts out up a hill and then you stop in glass yeah and then you do it again and you do it again so if you you know you're just going to get cold if you're wet yeah and you'll get wet from your own sweat so hence yeah. it's important that's one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about was the, I guess, the layering. Yeah. You know, we're taught from a very early age here in New Zealand, basically at school camp age group, we're told, you know, wear your thermal, wear, a, I guess, a mid-layer of some description and then have a warm layer or, a, or a, and a waterproof shell. How important is that? I think it's pretty important. It makes your whole, if you've got a system that's more efficient overall, then you, know, you can take less gear. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have a wider temperature range with less stuff in your pack or less stuff on you. Yeah, it's just about being efficient. Yeah, and because yeah. the if you dial it right down to the basics, and I would think majority of our listeners understand this already, but the the real basics are if you sweat within your clothing, and then stop, it's your own clothing that's going to cool you down. Well, your your own yep. moisture hence clothing is going to cool you down. So it's about avoiding that point, isn't it? So yep. So removing layers as we heat up and, and then putting layers on as we cool down. Is, is that, Essentially. Am I right in that? Yep. Essentially, yeah. 
like I sort of, I, I guess from a point of view, I understand it and the fact that I do it, but I've never really had to educate somebody on it. <laughs> and then and then breathability, you know, because you, you obviously see a lot, and not only in the hunting sector, but as a clothing sector as well, like wicks the moisture away and all this sort of stuff. Like, is that real? Like, is that... It totally is. It totally yep. is. It's all about removing the humidity from between you and that clothing layer, essentially. What sort of grinds my gears is, you know, a lot of marketing out there that'll say highly breathable or... You know, that sort of a phrase. It's like, well, what is it? Yeah. Put a number to it, you know, actually. So they they, yeah. they have a scale, they measure? Yeah, it's um, yep. basically how much water vapour can pass through the fabric in a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, our, you know, one of our top-end rain jackets is 35,000 mil um, breathability, which is seriously high. If you look at some of the Kiwi brands, it's generally around 10,000. Right. So it's, you know... Quite happy. Well, three times without without knowing the scales or yeah. any real education around that, it's three times. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So there's there's a key reason to have a look at it. And for guys that wanted to, because because it, it is an investment, I don't think you'll have any gripe with me mentioning it like that. But I, but I think there's a real shift, and I know it's a shift that I had to go through because I was very much a rugby short and generic brand polo fleece. So was I. Hunter guy, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. that's what I did. But then I guess partly through having a wage and earning a bit more money or whatever, and I started to buy better gear and was getting bigger lifespans and way more comfortability out of it. Is that? Yep, is, totally. You know, totally. Like how would you advocate buying good gear? Yeah, you are better off in the long run. It will yep. last longer yep. if you look after it. Yep. And you'll go further. It's just you're more comfortable. It's interesting because I sort of got more into it through my last role in the ski industry, you know, in skiing, you know, it was pretty standard. You need mm-hmm. highly breathable and highly waterproof gear. Yeah. And um, we had it, but hunting gear didn't have that yet. So hence, quite a myself and quite a few mates were, were hunting and skiing in mountaineering gear. Yeah. And so what you touched on there, and it's definitely something that I am very poor at, is looking after good gear. Yep. What um what what does that entail? Like, obviously, you know, like the, the thing with Kiwis is we'll shoot a deer, chuck it on our back, walk out, chuck the jacket on the back of the truck, Remember, it's their next Saturday when we're going out for our yeah, next hunt. Yeah. Like, I get that that's poor, but what what should a guy do to actually look after? Keep it clean. Gear? Clean is the key because essentially any um, technical fabric, so you know a thirty seven point five or a Gore Tex or a Torre, the face fabric actually has a whole heap of little fibres standing up like fingers, I guess, mm-hmm. and that's what makes water beat up when it lands on it. So if you get blood, dirt, oil, you know, don't you know, change the oil in your tractor on the farm, something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. which Kiwis do, all those little fibres slick down yeah, and it, right. hence the jacket just wets out I guess that again I, I, I just sound like I'm sceptical here if anybody's listening and I'm talking about one of their products I apologise I don't mean <laughs> it but then is, is just Joe Blog washing powder alright because then you can go to the other extreme and buy yeah, specific wash powders and all that sort of stuff like what generally with technical fabrics you want to use the proper the proper yep. washing yep. washing powders so you can't just bang it in there with the sheets and towels like nah, you do with nah <laughs> definitely, definitely don't there's a bit of a process to it yep. um I mean, I often will just chuck my jacket in a creek and give it a swish to get the blood mm-hmm. off it. That's mm-hmm. about all I do. But yeah, don't wash it with the rest of your stuff. Right. Okay. Because well, yeah. like, I do. I do honestly yeah. do. Honestly yeah, right. do. Like, I am poor yeah. with that sort of stuff. I, I am oh, terrible. Make, make sure you read the swing tag, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. I don't, like, I don't know. It's just it's how fine. I am. And my wife yeah. will be nodding her head furiously because I don't keep receipts, don't read tags. Yeah. It's, it's fine me. for all of it except for the rain wear. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yep. Okay. Well, there you go. I hope somebody learned something because I did. <laughs> so, obviously, with with Point South, 
the social media presence like do you see social media how do you how do you view social media for hunting like is it is it, is it good is it positive are we using it wisely do we need to look at changing some things like what's your, what's your view on it and it's only a personal view yep no i see it as it could be looked at either way like there's definitely been a lot of positives and definitely been a lot of negatives mm-hmm. positive being you know maybe it brought hunters together a wee bit with that recent tar Mm-hmm. bullshit you know yep. um, that wouldn't have happened without the parasocial negative being all the obvious stuff that I'm sure gets touched on all the time yep. so yeah it could go either way but I think generally it's probably a, a positive for educating people and bringing important things more out in the yep. public eye yeah I've been public about social media a little bit anyway and it definitely is a positive thing it's just I think we need as hunters to take a bit of ownership around what it is we're sharing it's up to um, us to put things in a good light and only share stuff yeah. that is, you know, worthy of being shared and can be seen by everybody. Yeah, and, what, and and can yeah. be valued the right way. Yeah, be a shift to some shift away from the distasteful stuff. And I know, well, you'll know, I'm a I'm a pig hunter. I've said it on the podcast many times. And pig hunting's got to be one of the worst ones. Like we really need to sharpen our game up there. Yeah, tough one to tidy up, but it's doable. It is, is a tough one to tidy up, but um, you know. I think we could be a lot smarter. Even if the photos were more post, mm-hmm. uh, you could be creative with a. Uh, this is going to sound really uncreative and distasteful, but you can be creative with a dead pig, and dogs mm-hmm. in the sun and the light, drinking water. Like, oh, totally. there's a lot yeah. of other emotives that go with pig hunting that we could share. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and dog work as a whole, I guess it's not. You know, there's a big shift to using dogs for deer and stuff as well now. So, you know, maybe it's a whole change across the board, not just pig hunting. It's pretty simple. Keep it tidy. It's, I think so. Yeah. Like, it, it, you don't have to be... I, I'm certainly not, not knocking anybody for putting stuff out there because they, they should. And, and the more that's out there, the bigger the voice we as hunters have. But I think we just need to do a little bit too. Yeah, like I quite often get, you know, sent photos from some young guy who shot a nice stag and he's mm-hmm. stoked and... You know, there's blood everywhere in the photo. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, awesome. So I actually spend quite a while mopping it up with Photoshop so I yeah. can share it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's good. That's good that you're taking that sort of ownership on that because uh, we, we all need to. So just touching on the dog stuff, I saw you had a little Vistler running around here. Like, is this your first hunting dog? You've always hunted with dogs? Um, I grew up with a, with a GSP. Yeah. That's my own my first own dog. Yep, yep. And how's, how's that go for you? Good. I think you probably never really get your first dog right. Yeah. Every time, like she's oh, got you a, don't get your second or third. Don't worry <laughs> yeah, about that. Right. I'm, I'm at about number twenty-five or something like that, and there's still yeah. bits I'm not happy with. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But now she's good. Um, she's not amazing by any stretch, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she, you know, she'll find a, she'll track a deer, she'll wind a deer. So mm-hmm. again, it's, it's that sort of um, change of emotion, change of relation to hunting as well, isn't it? Like you're sort of yeah. getting your own little reward off what your dog does, or oh, doesn't totally. do yeah. <laughs> sometimes. And it's just you know. Companion, oh, yeah, exactly. Someone to be on the hill with. You know? Yeah, there's yeah. nothing better than taking off with just the dog, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, it is. It's cool. And there's, I've seen a, a big shift in that sort of thing, you know. Like, well, back when I uh, started Ultimate OE, 2010ish, 11ish, whatever, and um, we had one of our guys there, and he was arguably one of the top dock deer guys back then, you know. And it yep. was kind of a, it was definitely a minority, you know, back then. And and this whatever 10 years on it's become really popular oh totally uh, yeah. which is good I, you know there's too many dogs out there not doing anything so it's good to, good to get we're them pretty, pretty lucky to have plenty of places to take them around here as well yes yeah. I mean we're not allowed the national park or so obviously well I would consider and I know you'll probably you should agree but whether you do or not But so I would consider you an entrepreneur with you know as a person let alone dabbling into the hunting in- industry wouldn't you have to be successful for that to apply first no no? Successful don't really go with entrepreneur. <laughs> like entrepreneur is just an ambition. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I think it's a, 
I think it's a good thing. I think it's, I mean, going away from hunting here, I think it's something that we miss in schools by not, I guess, advocating it or encouraging those that you know show an interest or an ambition that way to go down that path because there's a lot mm-hmm. of opportunity there. Not always financially, but a lot of opportunity in terms of living your dream and, and doing what it is you want to be doing. How, how would you suggest, like, you know, because there'll be guys listening out there that want to make hunting their career. The reality is we can't all be professional colours and we can't all be guides. There's a lot of there's a lot of other opportunity out there. There's heaps of other opportunity for sure. How do guys how do they get started? You just gotta do it. And I mean I guess the motivation for me was to do something for myself. You know, I gave up a fairly high paying and really good job with a really good boss and quit with nothing to go to except a tailing run with a mate. <laughs> no, but I just hey, needed, God knows you weren't gonna tail forever. No, no, but I just I just needed to do something for myself and that was the motivation to do it and I didn't have this idea then mm-hmm. um, I probably followed three or four dead ends between then and starting point south yep. frustrating as hell but what you learned and figured in those dead ends definitely made a difference in my mm-hmm. approach to what I'm doing now yep. so it was, it was a good process yeah, yeah no, definitely good good because it's actually pretty similar to mine I remember uh, when I quit my eight to fiver which like you say was pretty good pay and I don't know like came with perceived expertise if you like I quit that about two days after I signed up the biggest mortgage I've ever had (laughs) (laughs) thankfully my wife was supportive but it was definitely much the same like I was like well I gotta do something for myself and definitely things changed pretty quickly like I no longer I I lost the need to be in a certain role or position based on what I felt other people were thinking Mm -hmm. I just wanted to do my own deal it was you know like climbing the rank for somebody else had no appeal to me at all anymore and which was funny because the 15 years prior to that or whatever was sort of that's what, what I had been do. doing yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it was kind of a, a flip switch um, yeah. but I guess I guess the little bit you touched on is you've got to be prepared to fail but you've got to be prepared to dial down on what it is you want to do and I think you can be creative like like there's so many opportunities out there and you sort of see guys out there on social media platforms I guess creating a name and, and trying to get lots of photos and try to get a following and stuff like that and that's that is really good I guess foundational stuff mm-hmm. but I think I think what I would encourage and I you know I definitely would value your input on this would they need to figure out what it is and why and just dial down on that why you definitely need to have a pretty solid direction yeah and a sort of a, yeah. a game plan yeah yeah and, and that's not easy like don't nah. you don't get your why overnight just just find your own little bit in the world and go after it really yeah so we we started Point South with the plan always being to have an e-commerce site mm-hmm. an e-commerce side to it and I think we added that probably be just less than a year after we started mm-hmm. so, so that's good going oh it's good it just never feels quick enough but it's, yeah yeah but that's yeah, good yeah. going you know if everybody started their journey and had sort of partly yeah. succeeded I guess within the year then yeah there's still <laughs> yeah. a lot still a long way to go yeah, you know? yeah. still got still got good plans but it just takes time and capital to execute them so it's yeah. a yeah. yeah it's a process and it's, it's always that fine balance like as much as we both sort of said we gave up what was good to do something for ourselves and that's very rewarding I'm not knocking it the reality is you need to earn enough to get by too you can't yeah exactly <laughs> you know, good, yeah. good ambitions in a, in a flashy <laughs> website don't pay mortgages so uh, it's but I think like I think from an entrepreneur point of view and, and you know being excited about the hunting industry and the opportunities in that is you, you find that little bit of desire to do that little bit more when it matters I just think that's that's the key to it yeah, especially if you've got everything riding on it. Yeah. You know, you're all in. Yeah. So you're yeah. 
And being yeah. all in's good. That's yeah, totally. That's right. And I, I sort of feel the reason the reason I brought that up with you, Cam, is like I say, I feel like you are an entrepreneur, whether you want to be considered <laughs> successful or not. Um, but I, I see if, if more people get into the game in their own form, and that that may be as side hustles, it may be full time roles, whatever. It's putting hunting out there publicly a little bit more, and I think yeah. that's going to lead to I just con- I guess continual public involvement. Because the worst thing we can do is sort of sit back and hide and become further and further minority. You know, if there's more guys out there selling bags, creating education, um, selling hunts, whatever, like just in any form, it's it's publicly better for hunting. I think it is getting out there more and more. You know, we've now got a few TV shows, mm-hmm. a few magazines, mm-hmm. you know, new one just added. It's yep. on offer, the Hunter's Journal. Yep. Yeah, it's more and more in the public eye, which is good. Yep. No, yeah, it's more than just a few hunting stores. Mm. Yep. So, okay, well, that's enough of the creative element. <laughs> I'm getting confused. No, so what about, um, so you obviously do a lot of hunting. You're successful in your own own right. What sort of recipes are you into? Um, What's your go-to? I probably don't eat as much meat as you'd think I do. Yep. I do eat a lot, but mm-hmm. not. it's not a huge, huge thing. Yeah, you don't, just, just on choice? Nah, just seems to be the way it worked out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I definitely love meat. Like, like as I was talking about before, venison carpaccio would be my my go-to, mm-hmm. depending on who you're trying to impress. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a good one because it it looks flash and sounds flash, mm-hmm. but it's actually piss easy. So how do you? I've, I've never done this. Piece of backstrap. Mm-hmm. Right. Super hot pan, mm-hmm. and literally just sear each edge, mm-hmm. and then wrap it up in tin foil or something, bang it in the freezer. So you're really not even cooking it; you're just burning the outside. Yeah. Let it cool back down to kind of coldish in the freezer and then you've got a soy wasabi and fresh chili chopped up finely yep. and then you pull the meat out cut it really fine like sushi and you've literally got venison sushi really yeah it's awesome see i'm showing my lack of culinary expertise here yeah. my father-in-law's a chef so he'll be cringing but yeah. with a bit of presentation it can actually look quite yeah fancy. Geez, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know like venison's obviously one that Intentionally is is eaten rarer than yeah <laughs> than, well, than dry, so you're yeah, just every, enhancing that, aren't you? Everyone goes what raw? It's like, yeah, mm. well they do it with beef, so I guess it's yeah. There we go. There we go. There's, so so simple. Like it's Ten yeah. minutes, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just dialing back there, you don't eat much meat, so you don't. Is that because you're not, you know, whilst you're a successful hunter, you're not actually harvesting that much? Is that is that part of it? Yeah, I probably go and smack a couple of meat animals every spring. Yeah, that's. Enough for me. Tie I mean, over the summer barbecues yeah. and yeah, totally. Yeah, yep. it's a funny thing, eh? Because I eat a lot. <laughs> yep. Characteristic of my body shape, but um, <laughs> like even like as a family, like in terms of my wife, you know, my brother and his wife, my parents, they all eat a lot of meat because I. And, and part of that comes with pig hunting, I think, like because I'm on the hill. Yeah. Well, twice a week. So you've got, yeah. oh, this is just always meat. Yeah, there's always, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, eaten, yeah. Um, you know, so be it pork and venison and stuff, you know, it makes up a massive contribution. Like, I don't buy meat at all. Yeah. But I, I, I would have meat every day. Yeah. I buy a bit of chicken every now and again. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, funny. And I just, yeah, randomly went out for dinner uh, last weekend to a whatever group dinner type thing. I met some new people and I actually sat beside the only vegan in the group. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, which, which I don't mind. I quite enjoy having those conversations. You know, I'm I'm proud of what I do, and I don't have any moral mm-hmm. inaccuracies in what I do. So I'm happy to conversate. It actually left the the conversation 
she valued what I thought and uh, actually appreciated the fact that I ate meat. That's how we ended. And it basically came down to, um, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but I'm going to tell it. She was... Drunk? No, 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 sober. <laughs> no, no, no. But she um, she grew all our own vegetables too because she she wanted to, her journey into veganism. I don't know if that's the right English, but that's what I'm going with. Was around a real attachment to the food. You know, she wanted to grow her own vegetables and use them and stuff. And I said, well, that's actually very similar to my train of thought with my meat. I have massive attachment to my meat. Like almost without sounding really statistic here, like before I pulled the trigger, I kind of have an emotional attachment to what I'm going to be doing with that meat, where it's going, the fact I'm going to eat it. Like there's no gray area. I'm never, when I say never, as I've become more educated as a hunter, I've never pulled the trigger without the intention of that meat coming home. And so I actually have a really high attachment to that meat. And I, and I, and we got down the conversation route of, I think that's probably what's missing is the human attachment to what it is we're eating. And I said, and if every form, be it veganism, vegetarian, or, you know, omnivore, if we all had attachment to it, it would balance itself out. So if nobody was buying meat, and I'm not, not bagging you farmers, please don't attack me for this, but if if nobody brought store meat based on the fact that they just didn't know the accuracy of it, then we wouldn't need so much of that. And that would take a little bit of impact off the world and so forth. And mm-hmm. and hunters would still be able to hunt because we would have our attachment to the animals and so forth. And then the, the vegans could see their value and what they were doing with their vegetables and so forth. And I think there would be, be greater balance in that fact if everybody had an attachment to what they eat. Because I, I get attacked a lot on social media privately, typically, by people that still eat meat. And they've got a problem with what I do. And I think, well... How the yeah, hell does that work? Yeah. Like I've got, I've actually got like a like I started this conversation with. I've got no point, no problem talking to like a vegan because I actually partly agree with what it is they're doing totally. and what yeah. they're trying to achieve. What where my massive confusion sits is when people have a problem with what I'm doing, but then they'll buy meat. Yeah, I had and, a I had a confusing. client a couple of weeks ago, probably three weeks ago, um, young guy from Australia, and just wanted to shoot a meat animal, and he was an ex vegetarian. And it just stopped buying meat because he didn't didn't understand where it was coming from with the supermarket. Didn't mm. like that whole idea, and so wanted to go out and shoot a yearling just so he could understand where the meat came from. Yeah, it's kind Perfect. of cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that's pretty, I think I think that's one of the avenues that I think you know we as hunters can look to to get some longevity out of hunting. You know, like it. That whole field to fork thing's definitely growing. It's, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Well, that's sort of it for a chat for me. I'm I'm pretty happy. We've covered some good topics, Cam. Um, you got nothing else you want to say? About I probably there? I don't know. Covered most things. Or? Yep. Yeah. Right, cool. So, how do we? How do guys, guys and girls? When I when I refer to guys, I don't mean males. I'm talking to as a whole. <laughs> um, but how how do people find Point South? Uh, online. We're um we're only online, so it's just www.pointsouth.co.dot. Mm-hmm. There you'll find our blog, a link to our store. Um, you'll also find us on Facebook, obviously, mm-hmm. and also Instagram. Because um, you've got other products too. We didn't even touch on the other products, but yeah. So basically, we do you know we do tents, sleeping bags, head torches, bipods, tripods, binos, spotting scopes, solar power, yeah, solar power, yeah. stuff, knives. Sort of the vision was to almost turn it into, I guess, a one-stop mountain hunting shop in a way. Mm-hmm. Slowly, that's happening as we can afford to add brands. Mm-hmm. We're pretty particular about what brands we add. They've either got to be you know, that mid to upper end yep. sort of product or yep. that really good bang for buck for that guy that just, you know, wants, yep. wants good quality for what he can afford, you know. Yep. All of it we use ourselves. 
there's a few of us um, involved and we all thrash the hell out of it and mm-hmm. yeah good yeah try test it I guess so yeah yep I think that's important like I think there's a lot of I guess the, the, with all the, with the growth in social media there's a lot of opportunity to pick up freebies for people so they go and endorse stuff yeah. without actually using it I don't know sometimes that grinds my gears but I understand too it's probably part of it so but um, we'll also put the links in the podcast notes, so if anybody's looking for the points out, they can simply click on that and go straight through to that. But yeah, if you're looking for good gear, particularly clothing, but any of those other, I guess, important add-ons to a hunting kit, certainly look up points out. Awesome. Cheers, Karen. No worries. G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Karen Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.